Hi everyone, thanks so much for joining today. I wonder if you've ever been on a health kick. About 10 years ago, in an effort to get more healthy in my sedentary life, I decided to run a marathon. This after not really enjoying running ever in my life. And I gave it my total focus. I increased my mileage. I trying to increase my pace. I was totally into the gear. I'm sort of a gear geek. geek. It keeps me interested in things that aren't that pleasant to me. I finally did run a marathon. I actually had a pretty good time doing it. But I was thinking about my experience looking back, and my perspective today has changed. I mean, I look back and it was kind of impressive that I did it, considering my level of athletic ability. But it was kind of dumb. Dumb in the sense that I didn't really get healthy per se. I was so focused on running that I wasn't doing anything else for my body. I wasn't tending to my flexibility. That's kind of important at my age. Wasn't tending to muscle mass. And uh, while in my younger days, muscle mass was kind of an ego thing, at this age, I'm aware that people are losing muscle mass. It's part of basic health. You know, we human beings are complex systems. And being healthy requires attention to multiple variables. And the exact same thing is true in our spiritual health. Whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus or not, it's easy to think that uh, spiritual health would be studying the Bible a lot or praying a lot or worshiping God a lot. And I am very high on all of those things. I think we could all benefit by doing those things more but they're not the only things that contribute to spiritual health. That's why we've done this short series on our relationship with money, how we manage money. Because Jesus talked about money as well as prayer. He talked about worship as well as the stewardship of our stuff. Before he died, Jesus taught his followers about the stewardship of wealth. It's like a teacher telling you what's going to be on the final exam. That teacher saying, the exam is coming. Study up on this topic. If you don't study up on this, you are not going to pass the test. One of those places is Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to reflect on this text, but let me just read the beginning of it um, to get us started. And then I want us to hear a few stories. Verse 14 of Matthew 25 says that it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to their ability. And then he went away. Jesus is getting ready to go away. He tells his story about an owner who entrusts talents to his servants. There's a lot to say about this, but talents here is just referring to a sum of money. And he's calling them to invest. I'll have more to say about this, but I think it's so important for us to hear the stories of people who are investing. So last week, we heard sort of a great faith story by River Guests Bree and Tom Shea. If you didn't hear that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Today, before I go on, some people from our own River Church community. So enjoy their stories, and I'll meet you on the backside. Good morning, River Church community. 
I'm Lynn Bauer and my husband Mike and I have attended the river for 25 years. Our daughter Rachel is a freshman in college and our son Jack is a high school sophomore. I'm grateful to be sharing with you today about my giving journey. I grew up in a Christian family. My dad was an evangelical pastor. With no money and little material possessions, our family, including my nine siblings, immigrated from Vietnam to the United States in 1975. A core memory I treasure is that of my parents' joyful giving and generosity. As a young person, I understood that giving was honoring and pleasing to God, but there was a certain level of disconnect for me as I viewed it as mostly an act of obedience and little more. We left Vietnam because of the threat of religious persecution, but like many immigrant stories, my parents also came to the U.S. so their children could have a better future, which in part meant freedom and financial security. So I embraced the American dream, and I even hung a poster on my college dorm with a picture of a big house with a five-car garage filled with luxury cars with the saying, justification for higher education. That's what success and financial freedom looked like to my immature 18-year-old self. When I started working, I pursued money, but I also remained faithful to tithing. But it was something I just did out of obligation and habit without much thought. I met my husband at the river 23 years ago. There were times early in our marriage where it was hard to tithe and we used the money instead on things we felt we needed. We basically put ourselves ahead of God. In hindsight, we see that decision created a disconnect with God. Instead of trusting him, we put our trust elsewhere. And as our trust dwindled, so did our peace and joy. We see now that it was a major roadblock to maturing in our faith. When we realigned ourselves with God and entrusted him with our finances, we were more easily able to let go of our resources. God met us with peace and joy and sometimes even surprised us with financial provision. Our small group is currently reading the book, Sacred Fire, by Ronald Walheiser. In it, the author states that a major challenge within mature discipleship is that of remaining steadfast and loving with our commitments over the long haul. He says, the challenge then will be to act out of value rather than out of feeling and to act out of trust rather than out of understanding. So do we believe and trust that God will provide? Our actions speak more truly than do our words and feelings. Mike and I have discovered this to be true in our journey, that giving is integral to mature discipleship. As we have experienced God's love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness in our lives, the Holy Spirit compels us to be generous with our resources. It has been pure joy to know that our giving has helped support the river in various ministries and outreach. We have also experienced great joy expressing generosity beyond the river as we support missionaries and humanitarian efforts through relief agencies. I have seen God be faithful to his promises. Next month will be the 25th anniversary of my father's passing. He lived a life of joyful and faithful giving. Whether we have little like my father or we have much like many of us here today, I believe God promises us true freedom, peace, joy, as well as connection to him and others when we express his love in the giving of our financial resources. Like my father's legacy, I hope to live even more generously 
to make deeper and more life-giving contributions and continue to express and experience God's love and joy in my life. And that too is my hope for all of us who call the river our home. Hi, my name is Matt Cologne, and I wanna tell you a little bit about my financial giving journey. Going back to the summer of 2006, this was when a lot of changes were happening in my life. I finished college, I started a software development job, and I got married. So I went from this situation of being just financially above the college years of spending to now being in a comfortable two-income family. At first, my wife and I just enjoyed the blessing, but we felt that call in our heart to be more purposeful about the money that God was giving us. So the first step of our uh, journey was really to just look for any situation to give. Uh, find one-off events that were happening at the church or needs that were uh, out there and be able to give no matter how small. Uh, there was one time we joked about a, um, a $200 brownie that we bought at a bake sale to help support a missions trip. And things like that started getting us excited and joyful about giving because we were able to see how it was making a significant impact. From there, we went into the concept of ongoing giving, particularly with tithing. You know, we didn't have much in savings at the time, so we weren't really worried, but just a little concerned about reducing our income by 10% and trying to make everything work on there. We also were wondering about, is this uh, giving off of net income or off of gross income? Like what's the, the biblical example there? And we really wanted to live out what we saw from Malachi 3.10 about testing God's provision. And we uh, ended up giving off of gross. And I would believe that a lot of the provision that we've seen throughout the years for a lot of the needs that we've gone through have just been through that um, that faithfulness, you know, being willing to struggle and say, like, I'm going to trust you, God, in this. Since then, we've continued to grow, finding other nonprofits doing work in the kingdom that we wanted to help support. And um, that's just been kind of a blessing for us and hopefully a blessing for, for others as well. And the current situation that we're in uh, for our journey is exploring the concept of sacrificial giving. So we have been giving primarily to churches or nonprofits, which are tax deductible. And nothing wrong with it being tax deductible. That's in a way um, a means of God giving people a blessing back through our government systems, through giving out to others. But we felt that pull to say, to really get to that next step, we should look for opportunities where we can give and there's nothing that comes back to us other than the joy of that gift and the relationship that it can build. And additionally, uh, we started thinking about Matthew 6.3 and Matthew 16.24, which are about, you know, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing and uh, denying yourself. What's that look like when it comes to giving? What we started doing more and more through that is giving anonymously. That was a way that we could step aside, be able to still be a blessing, but let the honor and glory go to God. And that's 
really a, a joyful thing for us to be able to have that experience and still be able to see the impact that it's making. Um, but it's just another way that we're exploring the, the concepts of giving and you know how to really make it a, a heart thing for us. So all in all, we've been exploring this over the years and God's been showing us that we really are stewards of his money, not our own. And so while we will primarily be looking up items we want to purchase and comparing prices and what's, you know, what are, what are we trying to get here as a deal? At the same time, if we feel that prompting from God, we can know and trust him in that prompting and say, all right, let's do it. You know, let him influence the value, let him influence the direction and just be able to partner with him in the blessings that he wants to do in his kingdom. Hi, I'm Jody Chang. When I was growing up, my family didn't have a lot of money. It wasn't really until college that money started to play a bigger part in my life. And this happened in two different ways. First, the family business that my grandfather had founded, which is an investment partnership, started to make more money. And so suddenly more money was coming into my family. And second, when I went to college, I got involved with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and I started to hear for the first time about how the Bible actually has a lot to say about money. Now, it was really great that my fellowship was teaching about issues of poverty, wealth, injustice, inequity. The problem was I didn't have enough maturity to, to integrate that in a very nuanced way. And the result is that I started to feel a fair amount of guilt. I actually started to believe that God was displeased with me and would only be pleased if I divested myself as fully as possible from material things. And things went on this way with me for a long time into my adulthood. For many years, I continued to feel an underlying sense of guilt and anxiety about my wealth, which was growing as the family business continued to grow. But at the same time, I was experiencing a lot of joy in financial giving. I loved having the ability to give money away. <clears throat> Over these years, I was also continuing to learn about the root causes of wealth inequity. A big driver of wealth is home ownership. And I was learning more about the discrimination in our housing system through a process called redlining, where people of color and especially black people were prohibited by law from buying homes in the same neighborhoods as white people. And that has ripple effects that continue to this day. Our book group also read a book called Evicted, which talked about renters and their tenuous circumstances and the, the um, devastating consequences for a family of being evicted. Curtis and I had been able to buy our first home because of my family business. That was the way that we got the down payment money. And we lived in that house for 10 years. When we sold it, it had appreciated quite a bit in value. And he and I prayed together about that chunk of money, and we felt invited by God to set aside half the appreciated value to give in some way. We knew we had access to that money in the first place because of rising home costs in Silicon Valley. And we also recognized that we were beneficiaries of a system that had often unjustly excluded people. The amount was $50,000, and we really wanted to give it as a chunk a whole piece in some way related to affordable housing. But the problem was we just couldn't figure out a way to give it. 
We kept that money in our account year after year. We had it in our budget as a liability so that we would not spend it. This went on for quite a while. I remember that one year, the Rivers Lenten invitation was to pray daily for something during the whole season of Lent. And that year, my prayer every day was that God would show us how to give this money away. Now, I'm actually a believer in not being an over-particular donor, but in this case, Curtis and I felt like God had something specific for us, but it just hadn't been revealed to us yet. Then one day, I was at a workshop on affordable housing, and the presenter made an offhand comment about how her organization was starting a cash fund, which would make small grants to people in San Jose who were in danger of being evicted because of an unexpected cost, like a car repair or a medical payment that was putting their rental payment at risk. And I remember driving home from that meeting that night, feeling absolutely certain that I had finally discovered the way God wanted us to give this money. I felt this incredible sense of joy and delight that there was the exact right way for us to give. So Curtis and I went to meet with the leadership team of that secular affordable housing organization. And we told them our story, including that it was our conviction that God had invited us to give our money in this particular way. And I remember the executive director who is an amazing leader and a very tough person started to cry as she heard our story. We were early contributors to that fund and we've continued to support it over the years. And it has helped thousands of families in San Jose to stay housed. I felt so much joy that we could give money that was created through home ownership to an intervention that was a direct response to the inequities in our housing system. There was something about this experience of feeling guided by God to set aside this money and then waiting for years on his leading And then finally finding the exact right fit that I believe is God's way of taking my guilt and turning it inside out. I believe God wants to address the inequities in this world in part through the way that people who have access to resources choose to give and invest them. And I, for the first time, I started to see how he was doing something creative with me and through our giving that a strategic investment of resources, of capital, was a way that he could be working to bring more justice to this world and more freedom to me. Thank you. Well, I'm so thankful for the stories of River Friends and acknowledge that every story is unique. You might have heard those stories and thought, I can't really relate to those stories. Those people are so different from me. Every story is unique. The point is to let those stories call forth the question of how you could grow, what it would mean for you to be faithful. Let me continue on in the text and summarize some basic principles that I'm hoping that we will all walk away with as we conclude this series. Verse 19, it says that after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. You remember he didn't trusted them with funds to invest. The one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I've made five more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things. 
I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents came forward saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I've made two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. We're not quite done with the story, but let me summarize the basic convictions that I hope will be etched into your soul. One is that God is the owner of all things. We are not the owner of the things that we have in our possession. God is the owner of them. I want to say that I know a small percentage of people that we might say have the gift of generosity or the gift of liberality. And for that percentage of people in my experience, acknowledging God as the owner feels natural. It feels good and it feels beautiful. And I'm, you're, if you're one of those people, I thank God for you. You encourage me. But there are many of us, myself included, for whom acknowledging God as the owner of all things feels like a death opening our hands, writing the first check, giving the first gift. It feels like a fearful thing. And I want to bear testimony to the reality as one of those people that while it feels like a death to let God take his rightful place as the owner of all things, that that is a death that will lead to lasting peace and joy. Because God is not just the owner He's a good provider. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. He uh, will not let you go. His eye is upon you. He desires that we not live in anxiety. He desires that we know that he's taking care of us every single day of our existence. That's the first and most basic conviction. The second is that our charge is to invest in what accomplishes his purposes, what extends his kingdom. God's purposes include things like mercy and justice for the vulnerable, the proclamation of the gospel, the good news of God's ceaseless love in Christ. Not everyone knows that. We fund that as God's passion. And I would also like to add that one of God's passions is the building up of his church. The building up of the church. I acknowledge it's a little bit weird, or at least it feels awkward to me to talk about giving to the church. But I do believe that places of worship our precious gifts to our broader community. And that's especially so in this increasingly materialistic world that so lacks a sense of enchantment that there's something beautiful beyond us. People need to know that. Generous giving to the church is an expression of sharing in the affections of Christ for his bride, that she might be a radiant bride, spotless, without wrinkles. Our invitation is for River Partners, our core members, to devote a tithe, a tenth of their income to the church. That's not a law. It's an investment that cultivates affection for the things of God and affection for the people of God. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Silicon Valley is such a rootless place. It feels so temporary and transient. We all need a place in which we belong in the family of God. 
And giving of your material resources is one of the ways that that gets established. Now, if you're new to the church, or if you've had a bad experience of the church, or if you don't trust this particular church yet, that's totally understandable. By all means, give somewhere else to your heart's desire. Let that be your gift to God. But if you love this place, I wholeheartedly invite your generous giving and give you thanks for it. The third conviction, if we are faithful in little, he will entrust us with much. If we are faithful in little, he will entrust us with much. That's in verse 21 and 23. There's two important realities that get expressed in this little phrase. One is time frame. It's easy for us to think about just this life. And Jesus very clearly is saying here that there is a great beyond, or what one theologian called the long tomorrow. The long tomorrow will last longer than your lifetime here. And Jesus is saying that the impact of your generosity today will have lasting implications for how you will experience that long tomorrow. Our giving today has eternal consequences. In Luke 19, there's a similar version of this story in Matthew 25. And the master, when he uh, is rewarding the faithful servant, says, I'm going to put you in authority over many cities. He's going to elevate your sense of dignity and responsibility. Not responsibility that crushes you, but responsibility that esteems you. So that's a lot to think about, and that gets covered in the book study uh, that's coming up on money, possessions, and eternity. I encourage you to get the book and to come to that discussion, but the point remains that if we are faithful and little, he will entrust to us much. The other point that gets expressed in that little phrase is God's sense of little and much blows us away. I said a little while ago that a talent is an amount of money, but I didn't tell you how much money one talent, scholars tell us, was 6,000 days wages. So the guy who got one talent received the equivalent of about 20 years wages. Now it doesn't tell us whether he's part of the professional managerial class or whether he was a day laborer, but either way, 20 years would be a lot of money. And the guy who got five talents received 100 years wages? That That's unimaginable to me. And it's almost funny. I think maybe Jesus intended to be funny. That when that guy comes back, the master says to him, well, you've been faithful in a few things. I'm going to entrust you with much. It's just a little bit to the master. And he's going to give more. If we are faithful and little, God has the capacity and the desire to entrust much to us. And then finally, God intends to bestow upon us unimaginable joy. How I love those words. Enter into the joy of your master. Especially, again, those of us who are not naturally generous, who don't give easily. It's easy to feel like God is like a juicer, you know, like a lemon or an orange, and he's just going to squeeze every ounce of juice out of us. That's what this whole thing is about. This story is telling us, no, that's not what God is like at all. It's nothing of the truth. God is generous beyond your wildest imagination. 
He aims to, to form us as people who can contain his joy. And the question is, are we aligned with that joy? There's more to say here, but these are the four basic convictions that I urge you, I challenge you to consider. Examine these, because it's so easy, I know, for us to believe the exact opposite of every single one of them. So wrestle with it. Finally, the parable contains a word of stark warning. These words are stark enough that I almost didn't want to read them. I thought, ah, oh, for time's sake, I'll just summarize them all. And I felt like the Holy Spirit saying to me, I want you to read these words. Don't go through them quickly. Read them. And let, let my people feel the force of them. So, if you've lost attention, uh, bring full attention and receive the words of Jesus. He said that the one who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter. And so I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. This person took all that money, refused to invest it for the master's passion, put it in the ground. And then he says, here, you have what is yours. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. Well, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. Here he's uh, I think calling this slave on his true intentions. You know, he's saying, if, if you really uh, thought I was like that, you would have at least done this. He's calling into question what his true motives were, perhaps that he was really just resistant to the master. That's possible for us as well. And in verse 28, these ultimate words, he says to some other servant, take the talent from him, and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In no uncertain terms, Jesus says, that when we steward our money out of a self-centered spirit that disregards God as the owner, that disregards God as the provider, well, darkness and grief become haunting possibilities for us. Now, I want to make something very clear here. This is a complex theological uh, circumstance that we are placed in. I believe that God will not love you one ounce more if you are generous. And God will not love you one ounce less if you are not generous. God loves us all as much as he can already love us. And his love is so pure that there's nothing any of us could, could do to ever change that. And yet, Jesus is painting this picture that it is possible for us to place ourselves outside of the flowing stream of his love. It is possible for us to separate ourselves 
from his person and his passions. And this text is telling us that one of the ways that we do that is by investing our resources in ways that do not allow, that do not align with his holy and eternal passions. Friends, this text is telling us that there will be a day of ultimate reckoning. There will be a day which we will give an account of our management. And that day, the scriptures and church history tell us, will be a day of great honor and glory and joy. Or it can be a day of terrible grief. There are neurotic people, earnest souls in our community. So I want to reiterate and say that these vivid words, this striking teaching is not intended to make you neurotic. It's not intended to paralyze you. Jesus' vivid language is designed to provoke us to some action. Don't say, I could never be like Tom and Bree. Don't say, I could never... Be like whoever else in your life is a naturally generous person. Simply come to God and ask, what step are you inviting me to take for your glory and for my joy? Jesus' vivid language designed to take, uh, designed to provoke some action. So let me give you some possibilities. Number one is uh, our seminar on the 26th at 9 a.m., Practical Steps to Financial Health. Obviously, that's only for those of you who are in San Jose. That's led by Michelle Albertson, a part of our community. She's a trained CPA, and she hangs out at the Improv. So she will help you and be funny while she does it. Uh, there's a book study called Money, Possessions, in Eternity, uh, led by Ihoma umez Aranini and Grant Jenks, uh, March 5th at 9 a.m., that goes on for seven weeks. Um, even if you can't come to all seven, come to what you can come to. You won't be sorry if you are living out of town or you just, you know, because of some other reasons can't get there, buy the book. It will be helpful to you. Start a regular practice of giving. And if you feel stuck, do a four-month experience and just see how it goes. And if you don't trust the church, give somewhere else. And if you're already giving at a level that you feel like meets what God is inviting you to, I invite you to more mindful experience of giving. As you give, let yourself be mindful of God's provision and love for you. Say to yourself, my God has given me so, so much. Let yourself feel well cared for. And as you give, let yourself be mindful of the connection of the cause and the people to whom you give, whether those people are on the other side of the world or whether they're right here in our church office. Thank God for those people. Send a letter or a text or pick up the phone like they did in the 1970s and say to someone, hey, just want to you know you are on my mind. I support you. I celebrate you. And then finally, you could share your struggle or joy with someone. Bring your deepest feelings out into the light with some friend that you trust. Final words as I close to the neurotic word of grace. God's intention is not to afflict you with anxiety or shame, but to liberate you for wisdom and joy. To the undisciplined, a word of exhortation, take some action. Don't let the moment pass. To those in need, a word of invitation, let us know how to serve you if you are in need in a way that you can't meet. 
our desire is to be a servant in your moment of need. To the generous, I offer a heartfelt word of gratitude. Thank you not just for your material gifts, but more so for helping us to foster a generous spirit here, to beat back the spirit of mammon that seeks to asphyxiate, to choke the life out of us. And to all, a word of great hope that as we learn to invest with the heart of Jesus, our faith and joy will increase, God will be honored, and we will be a blessing to many, many souls. I'd like to pray for us as we close our time. Um, if you have a moment to process with a friend before we go on to worship, uh, you're free to push the pause button and do that. Um, but with that, let me pray for us. God, thank you that you are a good father and that you're a good provider that your spirit is being unleashed upon your people to be vessels of your provision to many and to find in that uh, great joy. Where we struggle, have mercy on your people and help us to claim some space of victory in this season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.